Let's open our Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to read the scripture, it will be behind me, but we'll read it together. There it is, okay, we can read it. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins to the riches of His grace. In fact, we're going to read it together if that's alright. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins to the riches of His grace. I saw Brett Anderson, you didn't say it out loud, but it's alright. Well, we're watching always. Eh? Let's pray. We're going to pray together. Father, I pray tonight... As we open your word, as we get, dig into the scripture, I pray that would this verse become alive to us? Would you illuminate the scripture to us that we will never be the same? I pray, God, come and transform us tonight. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have these sort of songs. Uh, you might hear a song on the radio, or you hear a song on a CD playing, and automatically your brain goes back to a time in your life. Does anyone have those for a moment? You know how music has a link, a link to something. You hear a song. I don't know if everyone remembers that song, Usher, by Usher, called Yeah, anyone, a few years ago. Every time I hear it, I go straight back to Hockey Tour in 2004. I just know, straight away, that song was there. Or maybe you are somebody who's a little bit different to me, but you hear any sound in particular, and you're back in a moment. And you, you know that sort of thing? For me, it's wind chimes. So if I hear chimes, I'm back in my, my childhood home in Harare, and it's, I'm there with my parents, I can just see it. I hear them and I'm automatically there. Anyone, anyone as strange as me? No? Okay, thank you. Ron, thank you for that. I appreciate that. That's helpful, really encouraging. Or maybe, but maybe for you it's more smells. You smell something and you're like, I know, I know where that's from. And now if you have a, a stinky husband, you can give him an elbow. No, no, that's not, no, I'm joking. But I want to say, for me, this, this sort of thing was, I went away this week and, I, and, I, and I, there was about a, play, a big forest of gum trees. And gum trees have a distinctive smell. They just, it's just, it's a smell. And my home in Zimbabwe had six massive gum trees. And the, because of that, the, the gum trees littered the pool and I could smell. So when, as soon as I smelled these gum trees, I was back home in Zimbabwe. It was a Saturday morning at home. I could smell it. It was home. That's the smell of home. Or, or maybe, for me, it was another thing of freshly cut grass. Anyone ever know that smell? You smell it for me. Ah, oh, it's incredible because straight then I'm back in my teenage years. I'm ready to go play cricket outside on a new, freshly mowed field. It's a Saturday morning, all boys school cricket match. Am I just strange like this? Maybe I'm just strange. A few nods, a few people. Yes, yes, I get you. Or for me, another one, which reminds me of a specific time, was my cousin and I. We once were, were naughty little boys, and we are uh, very small boys. And what we did was we, we stole some money from our parents. Yes, I'm confessing tonight. We were very young. We stole some money, and we went and we purchased for ourselves some stink, pump, stink bombs, high potent stink bombs. Now, I don't know if, Harry, I can see you understand what I'm talking about here. These are sort of things, stink bombs, which can create havoc wherever they go. And we, were, we did this because we had been signed up by our parents to a thing for, called Vacation Bible School. Our parents were the sort of people that just signed us up for anything during the holidays to keep us occupied. And this thing was a, a Bible school where we, we went and we sang Jewish songs and we, uh, we, we, we did some arts and crafts all week. That's what we did. So it was a bit of a strange thing that we did. But what we did was we went and we had our stink bombs and we went and we, we dropped them in the middle of this, this church with aisle that had, what's it, the, the pews. All the pews and all that stuff. It was just the wrong place at the wrong time to do this, but we thought this was a good idea. So we dropped the stink bombs and the smell seeps through the room. 
Just seep through. And we thought this was hilarious. In the middle of Havana, Shalom Aleichem, we thought it was great. As they went into the second chorus, and everyone started wondering, what is that smell? That smell, it covers, goes into clothes, it goes into everything. I can still smell it today. Such joy in my heart. <laughs> Except for the moment when as the smell was pervading into the room, and we looked at each other with such joy, and these strong hands came from behind us, and ripped us out of the pew as the pastor's wife dragged us into the vestry on the side, put a status down, and with tears coming down her eyes, looked at these two young boys, and said, not in the house of God. <laughs> that day, my bum ended up matching the same color as my hair, as our parents heard the story. It was, it was a lot of fun. But these sort of things fill me with memories, and if I, if I smell something similar, I'm already straight back in those moments. Anyone like that? Maybe just me. But anyway, tonight, my aim, with those silly stories out the way, my aim, is to fill our, our nostrils this evening, to take us on a journey through Scripture and fill our nostrils with the smell of redemption. That we'll be so coated in the smell of redemption, the smell of the blood of the Lamb, that we'll be so filled with the smell that no matter wherever we go, when we face situations in our lives, when we come up against the accuser, come against Satan, when we come up against uh, trials and tribulations, when we come up against fear and brokenness, no matter what the situation is, we'll have the faint smell of redemption, the faint smell of the blood of the Lamb in our nostrils, and we'll remember this evening, and we'll never be the same again. I pray that this verse will be imprinted in our hearts and would be more than just the Scripture, but we'll be able to smell redemption this evening. Is that all right? Good. Thank you, Fiona. All through Scripture, the Bible, I tell you, the, the theme of Scripture, if you want to look from Genesis to Revelations, if you're looking for a recurring theme, you're going to find the blood of the Lamb as a central theme of all of Scripture. Tonight I want to tell us three brief stories from Scripture and then a couple of verses at the end just to frame this thing. But I want to say the whole Bible rises and falls on this one understanding of the blood of the Lamb. And if we do not get it, if we miss out on this, we miss out on everything. Genesis chapter 22. If you have notes, you can write this down, go read the full story at home. Genesis chapter 22 we meet a character named Abraham. And Abraham has been a man who's been married to his wife, Sarah, and they are unable to have a child. The backstory here. They're unable to have a child. They cannot have a child. They get to a ripe old age, past the age where it's a normal age to have children, and they've given up hope. God's promised them they'll have a child, but they've given up hope. But at the age of 99, Abraham has his child. And, I, and this child is named Isaac, and he has his pride and joy. He loves Isaac. He dotes on him. He loves him with all his heart. It's, it's the, the child of promise. He's waited 99 years for this boy. Someone to play catch with. Somebody to talk through sports. Somebody to, to, to take his likeness, to become like him. To take the family surname forward. Somebody who he can laugh with and make jokes with. This is his boy. Rub the hair. Oh, that's my boy. He's so proud of this little lad. He's so chuffed with him. And he's so thankful to God. God, you've given me the promised child. Wow. And then what God says to him is this. God says, Abraham, I want to test your heart. I want you to take that boy, Isaac, your only son, the one you love that you've been waiting for. I want you to take him, go on a journey. Take him and your servants. I want you then to go up a hill, a mountain that I'll show you. Climb that mountain, get to the top of it, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. That's not a good one. All of us saying, I want a word from God. That's not one you really want to hear very quickly. 
And Abraham wrestles with this, but inside of him he's knowing, he's saying, God, I trust you so much that you gave me this child. He gets this moment of faith, this incredible response where he said, you gave me this child that I so trust you, God, that even if I have to sacrifice them, I know that you are good enough that you will raise them up again. But God, I trust you. I'm going to do this. So Abraham loads up the horses, the, the donkeys, the cattle, and they go on the journey with the servants and his boy Isaac. And his boy Isaac, red-eyed and bushy-tailed, Dad, where are we going today? Uh, just, we're going on a journey, my boy. Cool, Dad, I'm up for it. And he's with them. Dad, where are we going? Dad, no, the Lord will show us the mountain. They go and they get to this mountain. The Bible, Genesis 20 says, on the mountain of the Lord, they find the mountain that the Lord shows them. They go up it and, and, and Abraham leaves the servants below, takes Isaac up and says, we're going up, just you and me, my boy. Oh, Dad, yes, this is a lot of fun. Dad's like, oh, well, maybe not. Dad, with a heavy heart, with every step going up this mountain. They get to the top of it, says, boy, we need to find lots of wood and sticks. All right, Dad, well, fine, I'll do it. And runs off and signs all the, the wood and, the, and they build the altar to make a sacrifice. And Isaac's seen this thing happen before. He says, Dad, where, where, where's, the, where's the sacrifice? Where, where's the lamb we're going to sacrifice? Dad says, the Lord will provide. Let's just get the thing. Oh, okay, Dad. They do it. And then after a while, they've built it up. And Abraham, very sweaty palms and not just thinking, this, is, this can't be it, but, but I'll obey God. He says, boy, come on over here. Picks up his boy. Cool, Dad. What's going on, Dad? Puts him on the, the altar. Starts tying him down. The boy's starting to get a little bit nervous. Dad? Dad, what's going on? Boy, the Lord will provide. And what happens in this story? As soon as Abraham was lifting the knife to plunge it into his son, his only son, says the angel of the Lord, the voice of the Lord cried and said, Abraham, stop! Thank goodness he knew the voice of the Lord. Stop! He heard it. Yes, Lord. He says, look in the thicket over there. There is a ram, a lamb. They'll take Isaac's place. I've seen your obedience but I have provided a lamb for him. Incredible. Incredible situation. As this story goes on, the, they get the lamb, they put it on, Isaac goes off, the lamb goes on. It's where we find understand this meaning of the story. There's one lamb provided for one man. This is a theological term you might hear, and it goes all the way through the Bible, called substitution. It's the story, it's the, the theology of substitution, meaning that the Bible clearly says in Romans chapter 6, that the wages of sin is death. Non-negotiable. The wages, an economic term, what you get when you've worked hard at your sin, you've become a professional sinner, like many of us are, really good at it. Really good at sin. The wages of that, what you earn from your sin, is death. But the good news is that Christ came and He died a substitutionary death that you and I, that we were meant to have, a death that was owed to us, Christ died on our behalf. That scripture was fulfilled. The wage of sin is death. Yes, it is. But Christ died that full death. Said, you and I, come off that altar and a lamb is placed on it for us. It's the idea of substitution. That you and I do not get what we deserve. The promises of God are fulfilled because Jesus Christ substituted Isaac with a ram, with a lamb. And he does that with you and I. We want to move on. Second story. So one lamb with one family. I want to take us through the Bible. Rapid fire. So Genesis 22, one lamb for one man. The second, chapter, second story is found in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, we find another hero of the faith, a man named Moses. And Moses comes into a story. You may know the background story, but the Israelite people are in captivity. They are in slavery in Egypt. And God speaks to Moses. 
He sees, speaks to Moses and says, Moses, go to Pharaoh, who is holding my people captive, and say to them, let my people go. So Moses, to the synopsis of the story, to speed it up, goes to Pharaoh, and he comes face to face with the ruler of a nation, a mighty nation, and he comes trembling, nervous, fearful. And he says to, to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh had another grape and said, no. Okay, I need to come back to you on that one. So Moses goes back, he's going, what do I need to say again? So God then says to him, alright, fine, if he will not listen to you, I want to pour out my power to show him who I am. So Moses comes, he throws a stick down, it's an ordinary stick on the floor, it becomes a snake. And the Egyptians are wild by this. He goes and he puts his hand in his jacket, he pulls out this leprous. He says, this is what God can do. And he puts it back in his jacket, it's clean again. And then all the plagues start falling down from heaven. A plague of frogs, a plague of blood. The water turns to blood. We see darkness fall in the, the, the land. The people start being filled with boils. The power of God is shaking a nation. And you know what Pharaoh says? No. I tell you, freedom doesn't come neither by power nor by truth. It comes by the blood of the Lamb. You might be here tonight and you'd be saying, I'm desperate for freedom. I'm in slavery as well. I just cannot be free. I just need a power encounter with God. I need God to hit me on the floor and then I'll be fine. Maybe. But Egypt wasn't moved by a power encounter. Neither was it moved by truth. Maybe saying, I just need to read the Bible more. If I just read the Bible more, then I'll really know what, then I'll be free. Well, let my people go, Moses said, from the very voice of God. And that didn't work on the Egyptians. No, they were still in slavery. So God, what he said though was this. He said, tonight, I want you to take the blood of a lamb. Can we just take the kissel? Can you just keep them quiet just for a little second? Just a little second. I get distracted very easy because I love kids. So I'm wanting to come play. <laughs> I want to tell you, he takes the blood of the lamb. He says, take a blood of a lamb. He says to the Israelite people, you, tonight you take a blood of the lamb and I want you to paint your doorposts with the blood across the top and down the sides. And he says, tonight what I'm going to do, he's sending an angel of death God is serious about our freedom. He sends an angel of death to say, I'm going to go and pass over every single home. And I will kill every firstborn. Every firstborn son in every home will die. Because Pharaoh refused to let my people go. And he said, the only way that you'll be secure is if you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorposts of your home. He says, that means when the angel comes, he'll see that and he'll pass over your house quite a big risk move, move of faith to trust this. Can you imagine the people going, they've seen the power of God, they're like, what? a lamb, are you sure, Mo? have you got the specifications right? Is that exactly what God said? On the top and the side, we need to get this right. I don't want to take this up to chance. Mo says, that's what I heard from God. Take the blood of the lamb. A lamb, is that it? All right, we'll do that. And can you imagine that evening as they, they take the lamb, the blood, they do it, they, they get their kids and families gather around and they hold onto their kids and they're going, this, this, surely this is too strange this can't be it and that night a strange chill came over the valley and the, and, and the darkness came and as the night grew on the family the Israelite families holding on to their children the Egyptians carrying on with their lives the angel of the Lord passed through the valley and went over the first Egyptian home striking down the firstborn and a cry went up of pain and anguish as the Egyptian mothers running ah! screaming out How, my child is gone it's dead 
And the Israelite neighbors hearing this coming down the street. And the next home over the Egyptian home. Wah! A scream go out as another child dies. And they're holding on to the child going, Please, Lord, please, Lord, may this blood be enough. And the blood goes. Another Egyptian home. Wah! His cry goes. Wah! And the angel comes and sees the blood on their home. And they're holding on to the child. Sees the blood. And the Bible says the angel of death passed over their home. And left their family. You see what happens in this story. We see when the first story, Genesis 22, one lamb for one man. The second story, we see one lamb for one family. This is a doctrine. The first one, substitution. It's a doctrine of propitiation. A big word. Propitiation. It means that there is a debt that we owe. A debt that is owed that is only payable in death, in blood. That we have so transgressed the laws of God, that we have so angered God by refusing Him and turning our back on Him, that the wrath of God, Ephesians 2 says, the wrath of God has been, we have been by nature, we are objects of wrath. We deserve nothing but death. But propitiation says that Jesus Christ came and died a death on the cross and took the full weight of the wrath of God upon Himself. The blood of the Lamb was spilt so that you and I can be standing there when the, when the wrath of God comes on judgment day, when the wrath of God comes over us, that the angel will pass over us. And us, we will be safe. Because the blood of the Lamb covers us. First story in Genesis chapter 22. Substitution. Genesis, one lamb for one man. Genesis, Exodus chapter 12. It's a tone, uh, propitiation. One lamb for one family. And then we find in Leviticus chapter 16, the third and final story. As we see this, the man named Aaron, he was a high priest. And what he did was every year, once a year, there's a thing called a day of atonement. And they would do what happened. The whole nation would come to this priest and they would say to the priest, is it possible for our sin to be removed? And the priest would say, well, what I'm going to do is we have to take two goats, two unblemished goats, and we have to kill them. We have to kill one. And we take the blood of the one and Aaron would go into the most holy place, would go into the temple. Only one man was allowed to go into the presence of God. The nation and God were separate, but one man went in as a representative and he took the blood of the lamb and what he did was he poured it out onto the altar, the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place. He poured that blood out. He took the second goat and what he did was that in the presence of the people, he laid hands on this goat and he said all the sins of the people will be put into this goat. They would, be, they would be moved from the people and they will go into the goats and what they would do is they will drive the goat out into the wilderness. That's where we get the word scapegoat from. The word scapegoat. The goat that takes on the thing, somebody takes the fall for somebody, that goat took the fall and was, was kicked out of the presence of the people, presence of God into the wilderness so that the people's sins would be atoned for. Simple way of knowing what atonement means silly illustration, but atonement, if you break it up, is at one mint. Without Christ, we're at two mint. We're separate. There is no possibility for us to come in contact with God. There's no possibility for us to enter into His presence with confidence. There's no way we can do that because we are so foreign. We're so filled with sin and death and brokenness. But God comes, Jesus comes, and the Bible says that He makes us at one mint with God. The Lamb of God, slain. So what do we see in chapter, the first story? One lamb for one man. Second story, one lamb for one family. The third story I've just told you is one lamb for one nation. Incredible. 
fast forward a little bit. The New Testament begins with a man named John the Baptist who's in the wilderness and he looks up and he sees a man named Jesus. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One lamb for one man, one lamb for one family, one lamb for one nation. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So profound. This man named Jesus who's the fulfillment of all things. And that's where we get back to our scripture. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In Him, who is that? The Lamb of God, Jesus. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. I want to break this up very quickly. In Him means this. It's not in us. There is no freedom from slavery. There's no freedom from bondage that you're in. There's no freedom from the sin that you bear, the weight of sin upon you. There's no freedom in you, sir or ma'am. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you scrub, no matter how hard you pray, how hard you dance or sing, there is no freedom in within you. It's in Him. This verse, in Him, says, in Him. It starts with in Him. It finishes off with His grace. And in the middle is His blood. It starts with Jesus. It finishes with Jesus. And in the middle is Jesus. It's Jesus, the first and the last. There's no space for you and I to try and claim anything in the story. It's not in us. It's not in ritual. I want to even tell you this. It doesn't even say in church we have redemption. It doesn't even say in Bible reading you have redemption. It doesn't say in tithing you have redemption. It says in Him you have redemption. I want to set us free. The most thing I want to tell you is that we need to be set free of ourselves. We love to think that we can do it. I want to tell you, you'll pay hundreds of rand to go to seminars all over the world where a man, hot top man will stand on the stage and yell at you and say, you can do it. I want to tell you tonight, you came in for free and you'll hear a hot top man say this, you can't do it. You can't do it. It is impossible for us to, have, to be the substitute, to propitiate the wrath of God and to be the atonement and atone for our sin, the guilt and the debt that we owe is too big for you and I. But that's why the scripture doesn't finish there. It says, in Him, we have redemption. So, a quick point. I just thought this this afternoon. Abraham, when he took his son Isaac up the mountain that the Lord showed him, it says, he went to the mountain that the Lord showed him. Quick thought, sometimes maybe, I want to say, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The sacrifice is there. Sometimes I think we're going to our own mountains too often. We're going to where we think God is calling us to and we're not listening to the voice of God. My scary thought is, imagine if he, he obeyed partially, but not fully, and he went up his own mountain, would there have been a lamb in the thicket then? Just a thought. Just a thought. In him, we have to trust where he's calling us. In him, we have redemption. The word redemption means ransom. Another way to understand it is ransom. It's an economic term. It's not just a theological term, it's an economic term, it's a ransom that's being paid. And that's why Jesus said, on, said when he came, he said, I came as a ransom for many. Jesus said that. The Lamb of God said that. And again on the cross, when he finished and he died at death, he yelled out an economic term. The word is tetelestai, which means it is finished, but in an economic understanding means this, paid in full. Ransomed. We have fullness of redemption and an understanding of redemption we have to understand not just we understand it from movies of like a kidnapper somebody who kidnaps you and then somebody has to pay a ransom but the biblical language of this is understanding that slavery 
that we were slaves. So if you're a slave, you go to war against another nation, you fight against them, and you lose and you're not killed in battle, what happens to you is you're taken as a slave. And you get the full punishment that is deserving of the whole nation goes on to their slaves. The slaves are mistreated, they're filled with wrath and filled with the anger of the people because they're representatives of the whole. And the only way you can get free is if another person from your nation or your tribe comes and they pay an exorbitant fee for your release. Ransom. And that's what Jesus did for us. He came as our ransom. And He set us free from our slave masters. This scripture is so powerful because in Him we have redemption. Freedom from our captors. Freedom from the slave masters. And you want to know who the slave masters are? We're going to look at it quickly. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13, 14 and 15. We find our three slave masters. Colossians chapter 2. The first slave master is sin. It says this, You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Romans 6 and 7 talks about the power of sin. The power of sin. A slave master, it says, the Bible says you were once slaves to sin. So imagine, you can imagine this, this understanding of a slave Sin is our master. It's tied a noose around our neck and it pulls us left, it pulls us right and we don't know where to go. If, uh, you just are incapable of choosing anything else. You say, I don't know how it's happened. I keep doing the same thing. If you keep saying that, I just keep falling into the same trap, the same habits, the same patterns. I can't get free. I'll tell you why. Because sin is your master. He pulls you left, you go left. He pulls you right. I just can't help it. I keep falling into the same patterns. But the scripture doesn't finish there. Verse 13 says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for He forgave all our sins. I want to tell you this, this evening, I am so confident in the blood of the Lamb. I'm so confident in the redemption that He paid for you and I that there is no sin that is more powerful than the cross of Christ. There is no sin. The Bible says He forgave us all our sins. And the word all does not exclude anything. Oh, but Gabe, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm called. I've tried every. I just can't get free of it. I want to tell you, the Bible does not lie. He is not a man that he should lie. He says he can't see. He, he made us alive in Christ and he forgave all our sins. The power and the penalty of sin is done away with. And the Romans tells God, and says, you once were a slave to sin, now you are a slave to righteousness. So the noose has been cut. He takes you by the hand. And righteousness now is your master. He leads you left. You become more righteous. He leads you right. You become more righteous. Every step you take, you're becoming more righteous because he now is your master. Righteousness. You are and I are now slaves to righteousness because of the ransom that was paid for us. Second master. So sin has been done away with. Verse 14 says, He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Our second master is a thing called the law. The law stood against us. The law, the holy and righteous ten commandments of God and all the other parts of it stood against you and I. I want to tell you right now, if you say, I just am a Christian because I follow the ten commandments, I want to tell you, you're in trouble. You and I cannot stand. The ten commandments, the law cannot save you. It is powerless to save you and help you. The law is a hard taskmaster whose only job is to point out that you have sin. The other night I was at Mark and Candace's home and I spilled some sugar on the floor. Oh, the whole thing went everywhere. I had to get the vacuum cleaner and start cleaning it up. 
And Mark stood over me going, you missed a spot. And I go, you missed a spot. Uh, you missed a spot. And I thought, I'm going to start calling him the law. Because that's what the Lord does. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try and clean your act up, you'll never sufficiently be clean enough for the Lord to stop pointing at you and saying, you missed a spot. Oh, but you missed a spot. Oh, you missed a spot. I'll tell you another thing. We had a few years ago a food fight in the parking lot here. Possibly not a great idea. It was the, 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 the parking lot and the, this was when I led the youth was filled with, with garbage on a Friday and, and old food and rotten food. And I just looked and said, guys, we're going to have to clean this up by Sunday. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to try. And they all ran and got things to try and do this. And I saw one well-meaning girl with a tiny little broom and a tiny little pan start in the corner there and start scrubbing, scrubbing, scrubbing and wiping this little thing up. And I watched her for about five minutes start moving her about this much around the square. And I looked at the massive mess still left. I said to her, can you stop? It's actually going to take us till next week, Tuesday, to finish this at this rate. And I got a revelation then that that's how so many of us deal with our sin. The mess is so big. I want to tell you, your debt is so big. But you and I cannot have enough sufficient, we do not have sufficient power to clean it up on our own. We try and try and try, but our mess still remains. We need something bigger than our own efforts, our own attempts. I tell you, the law stands against you if you try and fulfill it. The man, Jesus Christ, came and he said this. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He fulfilled the law in every way. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. If you come to Christ, the law that stood against you, the bony finger of the law that points in your chest said, you are not good enough. You have messed up. You, are, you, have, you keep falling short. You are useless. The law that keeps doing it, you know what Christ did on that day? He stepped into our story and he snapped the bony finger of the law and said, it is finished. He canceled the written code, nailing it to the cross. The blood of the Lamb accomplishes this for us. It takes us from the, the hard taskmaster of the law and makes us free in Him. The third and final master that we are up against. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. The third enemy that Christ gets us free from is sin, the law, and Satan's power. The dominion of darkness. This is what, the, what He did with them. He says He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. I want to tell us, so many of us, Satan's tactics in our lives are sin and guilt and shame. It's his left and right hook. We get in the ring and you mess up, bam, and he hits you and you're down. And as you're trying to stand up and trying to regain yourself, he hits you with this right hook, which is guilt and shame, to just compound the misery. And that's his tactics. Sin, guilt and shame. Sin, guilt and shame. And we are stumbling, punch drunk, we can't ever get up. We're stumbling around. And some of us have been in the ring for way too long. Because we've been trying to fight this battle and fight for our own freedom and fight for our family's freedom, fight for freedom for others, but we're doing it on our own accord. But this is what Jesus said he did with the enemy. Sometimes some of you might be battling even now with a spirit of fear or a spirit of lust or a spirit of rejection or a spirit of inadequacy. I tell you, it's not some super spiritual word we say, there's, oh, it's like it's a, it's a cool mist coming through. There's a spirit of fear here. No, no, it's an actual spirit who personifies fear. The Spirit of God is the personification of righteousness, peace and joy. It's found in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of fear is the dominion of darkness. If you're struggling with depression, I'll tell you sometimes we've opened the door to the enemy to come in. But we do not have to battle against these things, fear, rejection, all these elements, lust for our whole lives, because this is what he did with the dominion of darkness. 
He disarmed them. He stepped into the ring with his cross. He put it in and he took the enemy down. The enemy is powerless, but the Christ exposed, powerful, but the end of the Christ exposed the enemy for what he really is. He's just a barking, toothless dog. If you understand what the cross of Christ has done for you. He disarmed them. He not only disarmed them, but he shamed them publicly by the cross. Eugene Peterson said, Christ marched Satan down the high street naked as the conqueror would the conquered. That's what he did with Satan. He dragged him down. He silenced that barking dog once and for all with the cross of Christ. He marched up that hill and of our shame, of our rejection, the hill that we are still trying to pull ourselves up. He walked up the hill for us and he planted the cross on the hill of Golgotha and he said, it is finished! The enemy's power, he redeemed us from the master who was once over us called Satan. I want to tell you, in him, not in us, we have redemption, freedom from sin, the law, and the powers of darkness. And how do we get it? Through His blood. I want to tell you that as I said, the story of the Bible is, is a story of the blood of the Lamb. One fa- lamb for one man. One lamb for one family. One lamb for one nation. But Jesus has come. And He stands in, at the door tonight and He knocks and He says, Will you let me in? I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrew of Hebrews says the, the Lamb of God, the blood of the Lamb, is able to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. You might be even sitting here and you've just plagued night after night, day after day, with the memories of your mistakes. It's on permanent playback. The blood of the Lamb is able to clean us from a guilty conscience. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 says, He entered the most high place, not with goats and calves, but He entered with His own blood. And He, bought our, he said, It bought our redemption forevermore. In the story of Leviticus, where he had to go in with the two goats, they had to do that every year. Jesus Christ came in and he says, I perform a sacrifice once and for all. Complete, fully completed, it is done. Paid in full. I want to finish this Bible, this whole story of our lives, and the verse that is overshadowing us tonight is found in the book of Revelations, where it says this, they overcame, they overcame, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. This Bible starts, the story of God starts with the blood of the Lamb. It says that the blood that Christ Jesus was crucified before the creation of the world. It starts with Jesus being crucified. In the middle, Peter says, you, and before your very eyes, you saw this Jesus crucified. It happened in real time and space. It happened in the heart of God before creation. It happened in real time and space. And it ends with us overcoming with the blood of the Lamb. That tells me that the blood of the Lamb is powerful to deal with all your past. It's powerful to deal with all your present problems, your insecurities, your insufficiencies, your debts that you struggle with now. The blood of the Lamb is sufficient. And the blood of the Lamb is sufficient for your future, for the fears of the future, for your salvation, for what will happen next year. The blood of the Lamb is enough for you and I. Can we pray? Tonight, just with every head bowed, I want to just ask, I felt strongly today as I, was, as I was praying that God wanted to set people free. He is a God whose his, his clarion call has not stopped when He echoed out of Moses, let my people go. That cry is still over us this evening. He's still declaring over every heart, over every mind, over every body 
in every way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, he is declaring, let my people go. But your freedom is not dependent on you, sir or ma'am. Your freedom tonight in every area is dependent on the blood of the Lamb. If you are struggling right here tonight with any of those areas, with an emotional need, you're in emotional debt, you're just you're saying, my emotions, I can't deal with my emotions any longer. I'm up like a roller coaster, up and down. I, can't, I struggle with depression. I struggle with, with fear, insecurity. My emotions run riot. I want to declare tonight the blood of the Lamb is here to heal that. The blood of the Lamb is here to bring the weight of glory, to bring you under His mighty hand tonight. If you're here struggling with your mind and thoughts and guilt and shame is plaguing you day after day and you can't get through it or even you, you can't control your thought life, your thought life runs riot and you say, I don't know how to bring it in control. Tonight the blood of the Lamb comes and brings a peace upon your mind. He brings redemption, pays that debt there. If you're struggling with sickness in your body and you say, I'm feeling dead, I can't move, I struggle with sickness all the time. The blood of the Lamb is sufficient. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. If that's you, if you want to respond tonight and say, I need freedom in any area, can you lift your hands to God as you sit there? We're going to pray. Father, I pray right now as we respond. I pray for freedom to come on people right now in every area. Not by works, not by might, not by loud voices, not by chest beating but by the blood of the Lamb. In Him, we have redemption through the blood of the Lamb. I pray right now over every heart, over every mind, over every emotion, over every body, I pray fullness in Jesus Christ. It is finished. I pray, God, for us to believe this tonight. Before we finish tonight, as we keep receiving from God, we're going to have communion. I'm going to ask John just to come up and play. We're going to finish tonight by having communion this evening. We're going to take his body and his blood, the representatives of those, and we're going to pray that over us. We're going to pray this verse over ourselves and over each other as we take his blood and we say, thank you for the blood, Jesus. And we're going to declare in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins to the riches of his grace.